0: Welcome to Brandbots, an AI marketing podcast designed to teach you practical strategies for implementing AI into your marketing business. I'm your host, Nick Taylor. Today, we're thrilled to welcome Howard Gray to the show. Howard is the CEO and founder of Wavetable, a creative studio that partners with brands and talent to unlock their hidden potential by building educational ventures and brand experiences through coaching, courses, and consultation. They work with a variety of heavy hitters, including The New York Times, Vice Media, Amplitude, Dig, South by Southwest, WeWork, and Wasserman. Beyond Wavetable, Howard's influence extends to the advisory board of South by Southwest, curating tracks in advertising and brand experience, creator economy, and international innovation. His mentoring roles within ISDI, Techstars, and the New School further amplify his voice in the industry. Howard is driven by a deep-rooted commitment to creating a world where skills and confidence are as accessible to all, empowering people to realize and actualize their potential. His approach transcends individual growth, impacting teams, communities, and brands by uncovering and leveraging hidden talents and opportunities through his company's work. Howard's foray into AI spans the many different elements of his varied career path. And in this episode, we delve into AI's transformative role in marketing and content creation, its impact on business operations, its influence on strategy and decision-making, and its innovative applications in education. Please enjoy this discussion with Howard Gray. This episode starts now. Howard Gray, how do you do, sir? I'm doing well, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good. No, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for braving the... It's cold. It's cold. Yeah. 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 shook your hand. It felt a little cold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for the uninitiated, how do you describe Wavetable? What it is, what it does? I'll describe
1: it through the thesis that we have. I think maybe it's one way of coming at it. So the underlying kind of basis for why we exist is education is broken in a lot of different ways. Uh, I'm going to spare the gory details on why, but the thing we see is uh, brands can become educators. And when Mm. I say brands, that could be everyone from Nike and Salesforce through to your local coffee shop through to an individual influencer or creative person. So what we do is help brands become educators by taking what they have inside their business, whether Mm -hmm. that's like kind of tacit knowledge or assets or IP or talent And turning that from the inside, take it outside. Designing educational programs, co-building ventures, creating kind of live events, anything that's educational to help people grow, learn, discover what's next in their careers and their lives. Nice. So one way uh, we've, an easy way of describing is a creative studio for learning and education. So if you apply what a creative studio, creative agency does, we do that specifically for learning and education.
0: Nice. And it's all services, or you guys do have some products. We
1: should. have some products. We have a lot of like productized services, but yeah, we're main, I think we're mainly like a service business, at mm-hmm. least for now. There's a, quite a few products we have on our roadmap, but yeah, nice. pro- predominantly we're service based.
0: Yeah. And you guys are, from what we were just talking about, small by choice. We'd love Yeah,
1: to- we're small by choice. I'm, as we said before, we, we hit record. I'm not against going big, but I've learned from, this is my third startup running one, one of the many mistakes I made mm-hmm. in my first company was getting too big too quick. Yeah. And it'll pro- probably dovetail us what we're going to get into in the majority of this conversation is even with my first company, how do you augment the resource, the human resources you've already got? When my first company was a music company, we were building kind of custom software stuff to help make our automate stuff, make things quicker, make things more efficient, to enable our team to focus on really value-add stuff with other humans yeah. rather than the administrative stuff and obviously we didn't have really great machine learning and ai stuff back right so even now yeah we're small by design an analogy i like to use is i quite like sports both football soccer and basketball and if you think about the most for me at least the most like exciting versions of that are like three three on three Mm -hmm. or basketball's always five but with soccer five aside really quick lots of action, really intense Mm. in a small space. Lots can happen, lots of action, lots of enjoyment, excitement. And every player can play in every position as well, so you're rotating around. So that's an analogy I like to use. And for us, we've found that a team of three or a team of five, if it's well designed, can really achieve a lot really quickly. There's a uh, model you've probably seen like a diagram of like nodes in a network so as mm-hmm. soon as you get you build more than i think it's five five or six nodes in a network yeah suddenly the lines of communication like grow exponentially so you suddenly go mm-hmm. from 10 lines of communication to 28 lines within a couple yeah. of people which suddenly gives you much more overhead bureaucracy and bureaucracy whatever it is miscommunications yeah. all that kind of stuff we're deliberately small by design we're distributed as well we've found for project work if we're working we often do sprint-based projects Working in groups of three or five mm-hmm. usually is really effective. And as we're going to get into thinking about how we bring in different technologies to augment what our team are doing, either either removing things that aren't very efficient or augmenting our existing brains to do more with what we have. We found that to be like a really nice kind of shape for us. <laughs> we might, we sometimes do bigger projects, but mm-hmm. typically we're trying to keep that three or five people as our core.
0: Yeah. I I think it's really interesting and advantageous that you've been doing automations and custom software for years. So your brain is primed for this AI revolution.
1: I'd like to think
0: so. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Yeah. So definitely spending quite a lot of time
1: building either full-blown products or very like simple automations just to just, I think a lot of it's coming back to spotting where the little problems or opportunities are. They don't need to be massive ones. So it's just Mm -hmm. keeping an eye. I've been doing that kind of my whole career is running businesses, looking out for, okay, why why is this taking this long? Or yeah. what if we could do this with that? Yeah, I, def- I definitely feel I'm relatively primed for, yeah. for what's next.
0: I feel like in the context of a three-person business where everybody, essentially, you want to optimize them all to be operating and working in their zone of genius. I love that term. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. So AI can really help in just alleviating a lot of the administrative burden, a lot of the grunt work. What uh, What has been the process like for you guys? Of of bringing in these tools, bringing in AI and automation, and, and enabling your team to be in their zone of genius as much as possible.
1: Yeah, so there's only so there's only genius thing. Just a note on that: we actually dedicated, oh man, almost a whole day of one of our uh, co-location. We can't really call it an off-site because it's distributed, but like a co-location mm-hmm. week. We put almost a whole day into that. Of thinking about, okay, what are our team's zone wow. of genius and like really trying to pull it out? Did it involve uh, psilocybin mushrooms? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> not. Maybe that's an improvement for next time.
0: We I probably did really, okay, a yeah. We
1: may have tapped into it. <laughs> we would have tapped into it quicker. But actually, it relates because figuring out what that was, because I think often we can think that our zone of competence, which I think is the one on, oh, excellence, sorry, is the one underneath it. So it goes incompetence, competence, excellence, genius. I think we often waver between we think the genius zone mm-hmm. is the genius zone, but actually it's we're in a competence or excellence place. So we spend quite a bit of time figuring out, okay, what is the z- zone of genius for each of us and getting each other to help us figure it out. I think that's actually helpful for people anyway, yeah. if there's a bit of work to do. We spend quite a lot of time on that. And then once we knew that, then we could get really clear on, okay, to enable one of us to be in that place mm-hmm. specifically, what would we need to do. So to your question about tools. To be honest, we just started with experiments. Right. What, we didn't introduce like a kind of big strategy thing. It was more in our Slack channel between us, just sharing. We have a brain, we have a brain fuel channel, which is just like interesting things we've seen. So there was a, quite a lot of stuff, probably a year and a half, two years ago, AI bits going in there. Where we started at was probably more around augmentation than automation, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty lean already. There's always things we can automate or make more efficient. I think just because of the nature of who we are and what we like to do, the augmenting thing of that, how do we do more? Yeah. How do we bring more exciting things to life that we couldn't do before? Sometimes a constraint of being small is we don't have the resources to do amazing motion graphics or yeah. create incredible kind of 3D stuff. So where we went to first was definitely, okay, to be in my zone of, knowing what the zone of genius was, but then What's the thing that I can't—that's in my head, in my mind—that I can't quite execute yet—that will make it this feel or look mm-hmm. even better? So we moved towards the augmenting side right. before the efficiency automation side. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that, that's where we—that's where we started out. I think it was probably ChatGPT that was the start point, but because of a lot of the work being quite experiential and quite visual, things like Mid Journey rapidly became okay. This is fascinating. The kind of text to image side was really fascinating because we're mainly on the, we're, we're less on the kind of visual design work as a team. Mm-hmm. We love creating that kind of stuff, but we're uh, not as skilled internally on doing that. So the, te- right. the text to image stuff was re- that was probably the aha moment of where gotcha. we're like, okay, this is where we can really augment the ideas that we've got and shape them and bring them to life in a far more visceral way for the people we're working with. So instantaneous. that's instantaneous. And instantaneously that, and again, it goes back to the, as a small team, the speed thing, but that makes us, e- it makes us able to generate stuff even quicker. Yep. So that's where we started. Yeah. So maybe that's a little bit different to some people who maybe go with the kind of more, how do we make a very challenging process, more efficient, something like that. We
0: went more the augmentation route first. So basically enabling people or augmenting their current workflows instead of replacing things with AI. So yeah. So let's see, let me
1: use a concrete example. So <clears throat> even kind of moodboarding boarding something out for a client project or How do we describe something in a more visual, visceral, interesting way that might be text before, Mm -hmm. or might be a deck or something else? We started using things like mid-journey to write, how could we represent this through imagery? How could we create more of a story around it? How could we storyboard it out, bring it to life in a different way? That was really exciting. And now maybe that's, maybe that's a, I guess i lost my train of thought. That's an edit. (laughs) <laughs> no not maybe i think maybe that's like a, a nice to have use case of just like yeah. the way we're we're naturally geared towards how do we make something really experiential and immersive and interesting but it definitely got us thinking in different ways and it's opened up synapses in our brains of okay we could go and do all kinds of stuff with this yeah. rather than the automating existing work which is more of an efficiency driver than a kind of expanding the view, let's say.
0: Yeah, yeah. yes. The focus was on expanding what was possible as opposed to automating. Yeah, absolutely.
1: That's definitely where we started. In my first company, which was in the music space, we weren't using AI then, but it was actually the opposite way around. That Hmm. was way more towards efficiency. So that was way more back office side of things. What was your music company? It's called Reprise. So it was a talent management, talent booking. So mainly like Mm -hmm. live touring for, for bands and DJs. Uh, we also did like a lot of sync and music that must publishing. It was fun and crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> that was fun. Got to travel a lot. It's a yeah. lot of fun. But that was the probably the difference there was that was like a real kind of I don't like to use this word maybe, but like volume kind of business. you, yep. you have several hundred clients who are playing thousands of shows a year. Oh wait. Loads of logistics, loads of travel, loads of itineraries. So that was like it was a really there's an incredible kind of data driven business a lot of information exchange going on right so there there the automation part was really helpful automating the back office now we're more creating kind of experiences and platforms there's obviously still quite a bit of data going on a lot yep. of kind of content development but it's far more on the augmenting side so yeah that's almost the yin and the yang of the two companies it was mm-hmm. firstly it was very automation focused. Yeah. This time it's way more augmentation
0: focused. Yeah. I feel like you hit on something really important in the context of implementing an AI plan, which is experimentation, because I feel like the best practices have not been written yet. And no, I feel I, like some people have them, but I feel I like they're so contextual to your company, your culture, your all of that. So what's, what have been the, what have the experiments been like and what was the mandate coming from the top in terms of how we're going to experiment with AI? I would love to say there was a clear
1: mandate from me. It probably wasn't. <laughs> I think the ma- ma- for us, it was like the mandate was go and try this stuff, make it clear when you've, when and where you've tried it. Mm-hmm. So rather than just like sharing some work, show us and tell us as a team, here's where I used the AI, here's yep. where I didn't. So it wasn't carte blanche, go and do it and just pretend it was your own. Right. Show us the process. So talk us through where did ChatGPT help you? Where mm-hmm. didn't it? Did this experiment work? Why did it not? Where did the prompts work? Where does the content that you got feel not quite right? So our, our mandate was default to experimentation. Something that I think going back again, and we can still do this now, but I think if I was going back, maybe nine, nine to twelve months, would be spend a bit of time, almost like auditing everything that we've got mm. and thinking about, and maybe we can use that simple kind of automate versus augment. to right. bit of broad buckets, but I think that kind of works as a, as a start point. Just look at do it as a whiteboarding session as a team, either individually or together, of where are all the possibilities here? Hmm. So where are all the things we might be able to automate? Where are the annoying problems? And just list them all out. And then same thing with the augmentation. What would be the thing that, oh, I'd love to be able to share this, but. Right. I'd love to be able to make that, but it's going to take a week, or it's going to mean we've got to hire three people or whatever. So almost list them all out. And then Bucket them into a few different categories, whether it's like marketing or content creation mm-hmm. or storyboarding, whatever it is. I think going back, I would have definitely done that. Mm-hmm. We didn't do that. We've, ours was very much, let's play around with this and see what we can do and then right. share what we did and what didn't work, which was great. But I think maybe that would have been a bit more of a step two. So mm-hmm. I would have maybe even done them in parallel. So let's let's do a kind of light audit collection of all the possible use cases right. run a few experiments off the back of that let's pick a handful of the ones that seem most interesting so like where the kind of if you think about it maybe a sticky note or something where the clusters are yeah of, oh there's a bunch of things here that seem interesting or useful let's run a couple of somewhat designed contained experiments around some of these i think that's what we would have done slightly differently it was a little bit more oh this is cool and interesting let's play around with it which mm-hmm. i don't regret but I think maybe making it slightly more designed and intentional, right. I, back, I, I do that. So I've, I've been recommending to a few companies that have come to me and us asking for help with this stuff is do that kind of, you could call it an audit, but it can be quite a casual thing. Just get yeah. your team together, collect all the possibilities, both boring in air quotes and exciting stuff, cluster them together and then start choosing based on that a bunch of experiments you can start to run. Those experiments can be fairly relaxed, fairly open. They don't mm-hmm. even need to go into the public domain, but I, that's where I would start.
0: Yeah, it makes it sense. Again. Yeah, I feel like there's two sides of the coin you just brought up. There is how do we take all the pain points and the grunt work and, and make that a lot easier, but then how do we use AI to open up new possibilities that the department didn't think it was capable of or never would have occurred to them because their day-to-day work is so time-consuming and specific, but what is, what's phase two? What is, what can we do that we couldn't do before? Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. I can, and I can give you an example of something we're working on right now, oh, great. which might be relevant to that phase two thing. So we, we do a lot of kind of education design, uh, building learning programs. As you may know, the term gamification is something oh, yeah. that you hear quite a bit in, in learning, especially. We're not a game studio. Mm-hmm. We're not building Call of Duty. That's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. The challenge often I find with And I'm sure a lot of people listening who are working in any kind of creative industry, like the fidelity challenge of how do we make something that looks and feels fantastic, Yeah, the trade-off between cost and time and resource versus the the fidelity that you're looking for. And so game design is like a real, really good example of that. So something that we've been using as our phase two of this is developing educational games using AI, but not even the visual assets, even just the storyboarding, Mm -hmm. so even the narrative design and coming up with the game mechanics. So we've been using Perplexity and mainly ChatGPT, Perplexity a little bit, uh, to help us figure out, and we're building a new product around this kind of scenario-based challenges um, that are educational, to to help us figure out both the game mechanics of what kind of game should this be, how Mm -hmm. do the point scores work, how how do players interact with it, all of that side of it, and then also the narrative design of a game. So we're very focused on the kind of story and narrative within learning. So we've been using AI tools to help us come up with that stuff. So rather than us having to maybe hire an external game design consultant or spend a lot of time trying to figure it out ourselves, we've been able to very quickly create an initial kind of game mechanic, game narrative, even some simple game assets. We use Leonardo and Scenario are two tools that we've been using to create like simple kind of game assets. Then we can even create like a very simple structure of a game that we can play test as a team ourselves within a matter of hours versus probably weeks or even months if we were doing it the traditional
0: way. So Oh, wow. Yeah, because the coding implications, like code interpreter and all of that, I'm sure that either does or will apply to coding game mechanics. Absolutely.
1: And the way of us doing it now is, yeah, it's very basic. We don't have a fully built out game. But it also reduces any execution risk because we're not even getting into coding anything yet. We're just yeah. able to spin something up quickly. Going back to that kind of phase two thing you mentioned with the idea of what's possible that we can't do now. Mm-hmm. For us it was games. We can so cool. do them, but like it would take a lot of time. There's a lot of risk as a small studio. Right. So we can create let's call it, let's call it a prototype game. Right. We can create like a rough prototype of a game, which then get which was A, something we couldn't do before, would take us a long time. And B, that then opens up even more possibilities. The, the first thing opened up a few doors. Yeah. Then doing the narrative and structural design of a game using these AI tools then opens up a bunch of other doors that then we can start to go through. So that was the, that for us is really exciting. Yeah. So it's opening up formats and design types that we just wouldn't even think of. And the, and the AI tools are coming up with game mechanics and scoring systems that I didn't even That's think about so or cool. was even aware of.
0: Yeah. Just the exponentiality of it is, is really interesting. Yes. I feel like that, that really nicely leads us into the new, the article that you wrote. I think it came out yesterday. It did at the
1: time of us recording this. I dropped, I dropped yeah. it sneakily yesterday and I sent it to you. Yeah, um, no, it was it's great. great. I'm going to put it out next week.
0: Well, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to dive into it. The main kind of thesis is that in terms of AI, we're at the Nokia now and the iPhone <laughs> is on its way. Yes. So do you want to give us the long and short of your thoughts?
1: Yeah. I was speaking at a conference in Barcelona back in November, about AI of emerging tech, but particularly AI, how it would be used in live events. And we talked about a bunch of stuff on that panel session. And I just remember dropping in at some point, like we're at the Nokia 3310 point right now mm-hmm. and the iPhones are coming. Yeah. And a few people came up to me afterwards, oh, that was like a really cool way of putting that. And I just said it on the spot. I didn't think about it. I thought actually it, it sounds nice. It's a nice sound bite. But then I a few weeks ago was thinking, actually is there more to this oh, and yeah. so i then went into a rabbit hole of fig- looking at the kind of history of mobile phones and everything else and how that progressed the short version: obviously we can put the uh, article on the show notes yeah but the simple version is that the 3310 came out maybe some listeners had that with snake on their phone all the rest of it i definitely oh, i was I, did. <laughs> I was rocking it for, for some time <laughs> around two depending on your age around 2000 and the iphone uh, first came out in 2007 the seven years in between were surprisingly, there, were, there weren't that many paradigm shifts, really. There was right. the, the Nokia was like a, a big shift in terms of the technology and the uses and how people engage with it. And then there was the iPhone seven years later. In between, there were loads of new phones coming out, but yep. like none of them created the shift that the iPhone did. And I was thinking about this through the lens of AI of right now, we are it's a huge growth period. The Nokia opened up things that we weren't able to do before. It put the product into hands of lots of people who wouldn't otherwise not be using mobile phones, which mm-hmm. is, again is the tools we're now able to use are very accessible to all of us. It's not only through a business or something like that. Yeah, But some people are saying that the iPhone moment is already here with AI. I don't agree with that at all. Mm, so, really. I think the hardware stuff that's coming out is really interesting. But the, what happened in 2007 with the iPhone is that it was a complete conceptual shift. Yeah, It was a computer, not a phone. It was multi-touch, it was full color. Like there's, there's all these facets to it that I think the Apple team when they were developing it, I think they probably asked themselves the question of like, what even is this? What are we even thinking about here? Because they had they had to shift from something that was a mobile phone to something that's completely different. Yeah. And so I think the same thing will occur with AI. And what happens in between, when I started researching this, uh, there's a researcher called Carlos Perez who came up with a really great model around technology generally, of a kind of adoption curves. And we have two kind of phases. The initial one is where things get introduced, and there's this kind of crazy growth. Often there's like lots of capital coming in, fast adoption. Then there's a crash mm -hmm. of some sort, and it's happened throughout tech 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 bubbles, dot-com bubbles, telecoms bubbles, even going back to like industrial revolution and way back, there's been some sort of crash. How long that crash is varies depending on the technology in question. I think with the law of accelerating returns, that crash here is going to be probably fairly short. But what happens then is we enter like a golden age of some sort. So after the crash, suddenly we have this big upturn, this big curve. I think we're still in like the early parts of that first phase pre-crash. I think there'll be some kind of crash or some kind of correction, maybe is a better way of putting it. And then when I was looking, going back to the phones again, this exactly happened with mobile phones. What happened next was things like BlackBerry which was a really great business use case. And I think AI will mirror that in that we'll probably see really great business use cases post-crash. We'll see some kind of correction where maybe the heat will come out of things. Some of the capital will pull back a little bit. But I think the business use cases, B2B are going to be the ones that are going to lead. I think during the next sort of three, four years, there'll be lots of really amazing kind of consumer innovations. But I don't know about the adoption, like mass, we're talking about mass adoption. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be more difficult and then there will be eventually some sort of iPhone moment. I think products like Rabbit, which has just been released this week, they're not, I don't know whether they can get that kind of mass adoption that the iPhone got that quickly or the 3310. I mm-hmm. think when you look at the phones, whether it was the Motorola Razr or some of the Sony Ericsson products, they never got, they didn't create that kind of paradigm shift. It right. was all sort of feature optimization. There wasn't anything that was like a real magic moment. There was no wow. No wow, time. nor were they able to hit mass, mass adoption either. So there's yeah. neither no wow, nor they could get that kind of mass adoption quickly enough. And I think a lot of the hardware products that are coming out right now, they do have some wow to them, but I don't know if my dad is going to start using them right. right away. So I think the iPhone moment where you get this huge kind of cultural, conceptual paradigm shift, I think that's still a little bit far away. But in sum, the 3310 to the iPhone, that kind of seven-year period, it's happened throughout history, yeah. this, this, this curve... I think we're going to see the same thing with AI. We're going to see maybe not a crash. We're going to see some sort of correction, maybe mm-hmm. in the next year or two. And then I think the business use cases will get, they will be the things that will lead and drive the growth. And then there will be some kind of iPhone moment. Yeah. I can't tell you when. Right. <laughs> could be 20 years, could be three. I think it will be fairly soon. I don't yeah. think it's going to take 30
0: years. I think, I think AI it's... is going to accelerate that timeline.
1: I agree. And um, if you look up, some listeners might be familiar, Ray Kurzweil, who's the yeah, guy about Singularity. He's very into the kind of law of accelerating
0: returns. Yeah. So just that. Is feedback. he still alive? I think so. At the time. I'd at be the, curious what he has to say about AI. I feel like his voice has not been very loud lately. I hope I, I feel later.
1: like I, I, hope I've said that correctly that I think he is, but I could be. I don't know I don't
0: feel like on Rogan and looking it up.
1: But. I know that for sure that law that he's coined, I do really feel that is becoming more and more kind of prevalent. So yeah. I, I would expect that acceleration point from BlackBerry through to iPhone, like that, will get a lot shorter. That Mm -hmm. may not take six, seven years. It could be two or three.
0: Yeah. I think it's there's so much to impact there. And I feel there's parallels immediately. Like I think now with the GPT store, that's the app store. Yes. Although it's not the lack of friction that it takes to upload a GPT is, I think, silly. They don't have the, ad, the standards that Apple had. Anybody can make one and submit it to the store now. Yep. There's no barrier for entry. They don't make sure it's only quality. It's going to be saturated with really bad GPTs. Yeah, nobody's going to. It's. I think that's a mistake on OpenAI's part. That's just me. It might be part of their grand master plan that I we may or may not be aware of. But but I agree, that iPhone moment that completely revolutionizes how people think of AI is not here yet. Yeah. Because you still need to be relatively tech savvy and an early adopter to really be using it and getting the most out of it right Yeah, now.
1: and actually a good note about the GPT store is also, yeah, when the iPhone launched, the app store was actually one of the... The, the app store created a, a whole ecosystem oh, yeah. of businesses and subsectors and all this kind of stuff, but it was also very intentionally designed by apple off the back of that iphone product Mm -hmm. right so i think those two things together that was part of the driver of all the growth the gpt store feels very different to that and we are still in a macro sense very much in early adopter maybe early majority phase right now so i don't think the iphone moment has happened maybe maybe not the app store moment either like even though we have gpt store i wonder if there will be a, a different version of that maybe from another company that's going to come next. Probably not. Not yet.
0: Yeah. I think in terms of our the iPhone moment, obviously multimodal is going to get better. And I think auto GPTs and what they call God mode now, is yes. going to be the norm yep. where you will basically be able to send your AI assistants off to do things, make calls for you, help you with your goals and things like that. I think it's going to be completely revolutionary. If you had to put your chips on the company, that's going to crack it. Who would you say, or do you think it's going to be someone unknown? Someone who's underground right now?
1: Oh, I, I, am a big fan of the underdog. So I want to say a small, I, th- I think it's going to be one of the big tech firms. Yeah. I th- so actually I think with the going back to the Nokia to iPhone with the Blackberry in the middle, that Blackberry B2B type growth, I would look at Microsoft. Obviously yeah. they've got an open AI partnership, but I think the scale they have with things like office, mm-hmm. like I feel the adoption there for business users, they could do incredibly well there. Overall, who's going to win, so to speak? That's harder. Maybe I'm biased. I think I'd still lean towards
0: Apple. They've been really silent. I feel like that's what they do when they're about to release something revolutionary. They're all vision pro right now, but they've been very underground and silent I think there's,
1: there's, yeah, there's some other things that are coming. Something's Um, brewing here, yeah. So I I would say if I had to put my chips on one, I'd say short midterm, let's say in two to three years time, I think Microsoft will do incredibly well in the business market. Going back to your kind of putting agents out to do your work, Mm -hmm. I think just because you can implement it into, they've got such ownership of uh, Windows and Office amongst other things. So I'd say that, and then I'd say longer term, I I would say Apple.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting with the with
1: the uh, particularly thinking about hardware. So we're thinking about the way we would use this in a fully augmented almost cyborg-esque way where we have, Mm. whether it's a wearable or an implant or something like that. I think they're they're still the leaders when it comes to creating amazing hardware, physical products.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think Tesla might do the BlackBerry. They might come up with Hmm. something interesting. I think their robots are interesting, a little scary. We heard that one attacked a worker and there was a lot of blood involved in like 2017. But uh, I think they're working the kinks out. I think that they'll probably crack some solution that's incredible. That will be the jumping off point for, okay, here's the iPhone.
1: Yeah. And the other reason I think that a relative unknown won't be it is I would imagine that there will be an incredible amount of M&A in the Mm -hmm. next five years. I would imagine every large company will be looking to acquire the the innovators as as quickly as possible. Yeah, it could be a Boston Dynamics or someone like that if we start to add the kind of robotics part into yeah. it as well, with that kind of real growth when we've got hardware and it's more cyborg focused. Tesla's an interesting one. My my bet would still be Apple though. Yeah. If I had to if you're forcing me to put the chips down. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm splitting my chips. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit. So I'm saying Microsoft and Apple in different ways. Mm-hmm. Those would be my well two.
0: The, the weird thing about Microsoft is Copilot looks incredible, but it is really expensive and you need a minimum of, right now anyway, it's, you need a minimum of 300 seats. You can't have access to it if it's more than, if it's under 300 seats. If if you and I want it, we, we can't, hmm. don't have access to it. It's probably just this phase, but I don't know. I just think it's strange of Microsoft to do yeah, that. Yeah, I think it, it, it matches the BlackBerry thing a little bit
1: though, because I think with BlackBerry a lot of the earlier customers were larger companies buying huge amounts of these devices, and then SMBs followed a bit later. So I understand that.
0: Yeah, I do wonder if 300 is a pretty sizable kind of bottom limit. I feel like they are basically getting their use cases down probably so they can test this on large scale organizations to really get a sense of what are going to be the really important, distinctively innovative features, and then they'll probably roll out a consumer version that's what i'd expect too yeah, yeah absolutely it makes sense it's prohibitively expensive though it's so expensive it's not just the 300 minimum i don't remember what the monthly fee is but it's like sizable which is strange you'd think they would have a low barrier to entry so they could get all this data and iterate but i don't know just not but it'll definitely be interesting but yeah i think apple's gonna wow us for sure Yeah. And I think that they're going to be the ones that make everything okay in terms of being threatened by robots and things like that. I would hope so. So
1: something that Apple, they have the detractors for sure, but I think generally on the kind of privacy side and data side, they've generally been on the side of the user, let's Mm -hmm. say. So I, yes, I think in terms of maybe calming some fears, I would hope that they would continue to go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. In Uh, terms of trust, I think they're they're a very trusted brand by their users. So That's my hope. Yes, this is all, this gets into sort of slightly fear and nerve wracking stuff as
0: well. But yeah, that's where those are the two I'd lean towards. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're definitely right for sure. Well, in terms of marketing and your company's marketing function, how has the AI adoption been for marketing? In terms of the things that we're creating and putting out there.
1: That has been something that I honestly struggled with. When it comes to, say, writing, writing, mm-hmm. through, I, I write regularly. I've found that GPT and other products, when it comes to like tone of voice and style, has been challenging. And so that's been one area yeah. where actually I prefer keeping that singular to me. Mm-hmm. I find as a research partner for marketing, so if we're researching something that we want to write about, the, the piece I just referenced, the Nokia yep. to iPhone thing, I was using perplexity to help me with all the research, help create a point of view yeah. around it, generating, it didn't generate any of the, it generated one of the sub headlines, but it didn't generate the headline because it didn't feel quite, it wasn't enough in my tone of voice. It wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. And training it with my somewhat idiosyncratic style, yeah. that has been difficult to nail. So I have found for marketing as a research partner around creating content, fantastic, Yep. When it comes to actually generating it, as someone who really thinks about the edit and the curation and the tone of voice, that I've found it difficult to train the models to get it close enough. Often I can find they can insert lots of adjectives and kind and of the uh,
0: adverb usage is out of control. Yeah. And very verbose language, too. Yeah. Very verbose. So I
1: found that, yeah, crafting something that sounds like me and is succinct, that doesn't necessarily mean short, but succinct mm-hmm. and and on point, that's been challenging. But for developing drafts it's been and research, it's yeah. been really great. I've, something that I've found is, instead of giving it a whole piece to review, is here's a couple of sentences I'm not sure about. Can you add some extra background to it? Mm. Or maybe some, where's a statistic that we could add here yeah. that might need to back up a claim, for example. So that's been something that's been a good use case, actually, is say, can you back up a claim we're making? Something that I'm writing about that's a point of view, where would we benefit from a statistic or data or some research from somewhere else? That's been really helpful where it can help inject, here's a great point to put in, to make the argument we're making maybe more solid, for example. So that is like a research partner, been excellent in terms of uh, short form, succinct stuff. Yeah. Adverbs, adjectives, really verbose, too just like heavy. And so I'm guessing that'll improve over time. But so far, yeah, that's been a blocker. So in Mm. terms of just generating stuff on the fly and putting it out there, I haven't been because it doesn't, hasn't felt right.
0: Yeah. And I feel like this skill to have a very specific idiosyncratic writing style, I think that the people who have that or whatever their creative versions of that are really going to win out in the AI game. Because I think that there's going to be such a glut of content that is just vomited out from every angle and things that feel more human and that are human. You're writing this yourself. You probably have GPT spell check it and whatever and format sure. it however, but it's still coming from you. I'm very comforted knowing that we can still retain that sense of humanity. So maybe something related to that, and I agree, is when I
1: fed uh, GPT a bunch of my own blog posts from across the board. Some of them are like very kind of business focused. Some Were you of training
0: like, a custom GPT? Uh, this was just regular GPT. just G, regular, this okay. regular GPT.
1: Just because I was just interested to see what I get out of yeah. it versus a custom. When, it, when I asked it to reflect back the attributes of the writing style, it was one of those wow moments. It was like, wow, you really understand me. Like oh, it was really good. At that. Yeah. And I kept asking it more and more details around what do you, what do you see in the writing? That was really impressive. But then when it came to can you now create a piece based on these prompts, that's where it fell down mm. and it didn't match. So in terms of analyzing the background information that I gave it and pulling out so actually pretty, ins- I'm going to use insightful with air quotes because mm-hmm. we could argue whether it has insight or not. <laughs> I was really impressed. Yep. But when it came to actually putting it into practice and doing it, this goes to your point around we're going to need creative humans, that's yep. still going to win out. It was no- nowhere near. So yep. as a as a co-writing, as a research partner, as almost a kind of mirror, like almost reflecting back, what do you see in this? What do you know, what's in this or what's not in this that could be in there more? It's really great for that. When it comes to actually creating, I haven't found it ever to nail it in terms of style or tone of voice or approach for me.
0: And I feel like that speaks to something I very much proselytize, that AI is a co-pilot, not a pilot. It's yes. not gonna fly the plane, but it's gonna be the Chewbacca to your Han Solo. <laughs> or the Goose to your Maverick or the Tails to your Sonic or the Short Round to your Indiana Jones, whatever. Whatever you fancy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it's amazing as a partner. It's not gonna it's not gonna do the it's gonna do a lot of the lift for you. And just that grunt work and the annoying research and going to 15 different websites. I find it interesting that you're still using perplexity even though GPT is still connected to the internet, I still use them too. And sometimes I think they're better than GPT when they're connected, when it's, when you, when GPT is connected to the internet. I'm using perplexity more
1: as a search engine than a generator. Like, and it can do both, but I've found that's better just for, so for for research stuff, that's, Mm -hmm. I've been leaning more that way. This is, you know, in the last few weeks because everything's moving so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've found that for research, that's been really great Uh, for kind of more generative stuff. I've still leaned towards GPT, but again, this is all going back to experiments, trying out different platforms, different tools, constantly putting in the same kind of work or task into different tools, seeing what the results are. Again, I think it really is still very much test and learn phase right now.
0: Yeah. I think perplexity is really good. I like it more than using the AI search and... uh, Oh, me too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other new tools you've discovered recently?
1: Oh, anything I have discovered recently. I mentioned, I lightly mentioned, Leonardo and scenario Okay. for, for image generate. so Leonardo is basically a free, so to speak, but freemium, uh, version of mid journey okay. with a few different kind of drivers built in the back of it. Scenario is for generating game characters specifically and oh, like game, awesome. game assets. So okay. if you're doing anything around whether it's Dungeons and Dragons for you and your friends or. Building a game for your kid, or yeah. like I mentioned, doing kind of educational games for clients, that's quite interesting. So if you're into like anime stuff or anything like that, or it will You can make re-
0: a 3D assets, or make Unreal or Unity. Yeah, it can make well, some really nice
1: 3D assets. Speaking of ready for other platforms, something I discovered recently, which I'm not in this world, but I thought was really interesting. is a company called Zoo, as in animal zoo. Mm-hmm. They do. and Hopefully, I don't butcher their value proposition tools for hardware design so if you're doing say cad if you're building physical products from you're sitting in a room with chairs and tables in it if you're yeah. designing a new kind of office chair something mm-hmm. like that they have a lot of kind of cad products they have a text to cad generator oh wow really interesting you could put you and i are not experts on hardware creation we're not expert chair manufacturers but we could put regular nick and howard text in of generate me like the leg of a chair or an arm that looks like a kind of Knoll classic chair yeah. and it will generate that asset 3d ready for 3d max or blender or whatever kind of tool, toolkit you're using i believe very soon it'll be able to generate all the different cad assets you need for a particular product you can also train their models with your data so if you're creating an entire office fit out for example You've got all the data sets already. Whoa. You can train their models so then you can start spinning out an entire kind of office worth of CAD assets.
0: This is going to already do this out of the box?
1: I think that, I th- yeah, the training on their models, yeah. they're already offering that. Whoa. And I think the entire full set of assets on the fly is coming in like Q1, Q2. Oh, wow. So I was actually talking with, t- for people who aren't maybe into CAD, you might be thinking, okay, why is, this, why is this relevant? I was talking with a lawyer friend a couple of days ago and mentioned this example to him. And he said, oh, that's exactly what I need. And I was like, what do you you mean? What do you mean? You're a lawyer. Mm -hmm. He said, it's basically the same thing. Like I'm creating contracts and clauses. These are the components. This is the cog or the armrest or the seat back or the wheel or whatever. These are the clauses. There's lots of different types of them, depending on the type of client I'm working with. So I'd like to generate my full kind of suite, my kind of toolbox of all these components. And then I can piece them together in my effectively CAD software, which for him might be Google Doc or whatever it might be. I can then piece these together on the fly and create these kind of new pieces, these new unique in his world contracts that are tailored to that particular client. So they're all tagged up and he knows, give me the particular, this is a music lawyer, give me Mm -hmm. the Taylor Swift live performance clause that's related to merchandise sales. Give me that one that I can then put into this different client's contract. So the same thing, give me the, this particular chair's wheel CAD object, and I'd mm-hmm. like to put it onto the table now. So let's right. try that on the table. So the configurable assets thing, I think is really yeah. interesting. And this is stuff that takes a lot of like time to craft and design. Yeah. And you can try automating this in the moment, but you might get a hallucination mm-hmm. or it might lose context. So if you're designing the components up front individually and you're checking they're correct then you start putting them into the whatever tools that you're using to bring them all together and synthesize them. I think that's really interesting. So that one
0: is yeah by a company called Zoo. Text the CAD. I think it's a really good use case for understanding where AI is going, regardless of whether or not you use CAD, but it's basically the AI equivalent of interchangeable parts, which revolutionized the car industry. 100%. And I think that's where we're headed.
1: Yeah. So I think you can map that whether it's, as he saw it, from text to CAD could be used by, the equivalent is being used by a lawyer. Yeah. We could have doctors using it. Uh, We could be creating whether it's physical products or digital tools. So that's a really interesting example, I think, of both automation and augmentation. Mm -hmm. So we've got the automating of developing the wheel for our chair. It's like a really fiddly process, perhaps, if we're a CAD designer. So we can automate that by having pre-configured parts. But then we've also got the exciting augmenting element, which is, yeah. oh, this now opens up opportunities for us to create products that we didn't even realize we could create before. Yeah. So I think it, that has a bit of both. So then it enables us as people to be more creative. And with the lawyer, he said, well, now I can create kind of different contracts. I didn't even realize like, a, like different deal structures that maybe yeah. weren't even possible before. I didn't even realize were possible. And it frees me up to have better conversations with my clients around, here's some different options that Honestly, I wouldn't have come up with before.
0: He sounds like a good lawyer. He yeah. is. <laughs> Shout out Jared, who I met the other day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense because I think a lot of people are fear of the automation element that it's going to cut down their billings or whatever. It's going to prevent people from having to do the grunt work. Like he's not going to have to go look back in law journals and spend hours doing that. He's going to have more time with his client, which is where the real value is with lawyers.
1: Yeah. And maybe some listeners are familiar with this.
0: I think a, a fairly good way of thinking about this
1: generally is the kind of 10, 80, 10 approach, which right. some people have been talking about. So we have 10% of the process is a human up from mm-hmm. that's the curation. That's the design. That's thinking through the strategy of what we're going to, what are we trying to make here then? And I think maybe 80 is maybe a bit heavy, but it depends on the thing we're doing 80 would be the machine. Okay. So we take all of that going through law journals, pulling together clauses, whatever that might be. That's 80. That probably That's 80% normally, but the machine can take care of all that for us. And then the last 10 is then back to the human of like, right, now we've got this final product. I'm going to then converse with other humans who are using this and see, is this the right thing? Yeah. And then it's almost a cycle where you go back through the 10, 80, 10 again, of, okay, that was V1. Let's go back and do another 10% of strategizing, creative work. Back into the machine for 80, back mm-hmm. into 10 with the human. So I think people who are worried about their roles, I totally understand it. But for the, the lawyer, he said, if the machine can take the eight, that 80 out for me and handle it, that makes those other 10 so much more fat. Like I'm yeah. spending, that's really valuable time with other people where I'm using my human skills. So I think maybe one way of thinking about particularly the automation side is this kind of 10, 80, 10 mm-hmm. way of
0: approaching it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for sure. Vaynerchuk postulates that it'll take three to five years before AI really hits the kind of apex moment. I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like it's, as we were talking about, it's going to be a much more accelerated timeline, but for marketers and marketing, what do you think that apex moment is going to look like? And it harkens back to our conversation about the kind of iPhone, but what do you think it looks like for marketers, business owners? What do you think, I don't know, two years from now is going to look like?
1: (laughs) It's tricky, yeah, I know. So, so I think I the three to five. I think I wouldn't completely disagree with that. I mean, it's very humans, are really bad. At, unlike who are really bad at predicting things, as history has shown us. Right. What does two years from now look like? I think there will be that. I'm mean, going back to that correction thing. I think there will be some kind of correction, and this if this gets to like macroeconomic and political stuff as well, like how that's going to play into this. I think there'll be some kind of correction around that kind of period. So it's like some of the heat will come out of this Mm -hmm. to some degree. I don't think for another year, maybe a bit longer. So my my guess would be twenty five to early twenty twenty five. I think things might slow up a bit. In terms of the apex point, are we saying that where the real kind of sudden growth is, like it just all explodes? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's this year. I think we're still in the figuring it out playing mm-hmm. around um there's the novelty value there's also the fear value yeah. the fear part um there's still as we've been talking about there's still a lot of stuff these tools can't really do that yet and mm-hmm. there's gonna, there's going to be a, also i think a deluge of kind of junk no oh, yeah so i think we'll have to we're going to have to go through all the that cruft and awkward get, adolescent phase yeah yeah, yeah it's, good, it's a good that's a good sort of analog definitely i think we're definitely in in that right now in 2 years i think there could be some really interesting kind of ar hologram type stuff i think like customer service and like fan interaction things could be really i think those could be really interesting in maybe two to three years i think they might still feel a little bit clunky but like bringing together visual and behind the scenes like whether that's text-based or other other content i think that could be interesting in two years Mm -hmm. i don't know if the i think the apex is i'd actually be Largely agree with him. I think it's probably more like three to four. It's hard to say. Yeah. yeah. So I think two years, you could start seeing some really interesting kind of a Apple's Vision Pro is a good example of this. But there's some really interesting kind of hologram tech that I think will will get pretty good in 18 months or so. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, I think the the real breakthrough moments tricky to say, but I go three to five. Mm. That's my guess. You
0: disagree? I don't know. I think it might be two to three. It might be a little bit less. Cause I think there's a few potential trains of thought. I do think that some companies will adapt really fast and accelerate really fast. Mm -hmm. But I do think you, the, I think the apex point relies on a majority of the world getting on the technology, relies on mass adoption to a certain degree. And I do think the tech is so new that it's going to take people a while to first of all learn it. And then first of all, for the tech to get to the point where it doesn't hallucinate as much and it's not, it's more user-friendly and that's by design. Like OpenAI has a way better version of chat GPT that they've developed, but they're pacing it out, which I think is a good thing because I, I do think humanity needs some time to really wrap their head around it. So it doesn't become just rapid over-acceleration of platforms and people are out of jobs immediately and all of that. But- Going back to the original thread, um, I do think it's going to rely on mass adoption, which I think the platforms are going to have to figure out how do we make these more user-friendly, how are they better, and how are they going to fit into people's day-to-day lives. And I do think that does take time, like yeah, you and said. I th- like- and
1: then we go back to humans, like how quickly can we adapt to something, Yeah, adopt something and adapt to something. I don't know. At the pace of change, if we could do it in a year, I, I don't think we can I, 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 on mass. If we're mm-hmm. talking like hundreds of millions, billions of people in terms of adoption or adapting to something, I think that does take time. And this stuff is moving so quickly. It's not like here's Henry Ford with a car, and right. that this is the only type of car we have for a year or two. There's not, there weren't four hundred different types of car. Right here, we've got all kinds of tools across all kinds of use cases. We've been talking about CAD. We've been talking about lawyers. We've been talking about marketing. We've been yep. talking about phones all kinds of literally every industry lots of different tools it's fully multi-vector mm-hmm. that change is really hard to get our heads around and particularly adults we don't like change that much yep. like underneath it all we really we don't even if we pretend we do we have a we have an aversion to it so i do th- i think it's maybe isn't even the speed of the tech it's going to be we have to allow the fact that for mass adoption people are going to need time Yeah to, uh, adapt to it. So I, th- I would say it's in that two to three year period feels about right. I don't think you can get hundreds of millions, if not billions of people fully comfortable that say yeah. in this year, I don't, I, I don't see it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think, again, going back to your article, the iPhone moment, when are our grandmothers going to start using it? Because the iPhone first gen grandparents were using it because yeah. it's intuitive. It's easy to use. They got it. Maybe not everything, and we probably all still have conversations with older family members explaining how yep. to use iPhones in certain ways. But what the kind of what's going to be the killer tech where our, our grandparents start using it? I think that remains to be seen. But it's interesting to speculate,
1: which I think again goes back to companies like Apple have got yeah. a great understanding of how do you create something that people really love and are incredibly intuitive, whether you're eighty-eight years old or eight years old. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's my hunt. When it comes to, you know, going back to Gary Vaynerchuk with the apex moment for for businesses, for marketers, Mm -hmm. if we're talking about like the business use cases, I think that might be happening a bit. That might happen a bit earlier, going back to our kind of BlackBerry analogy. Yeah. That might happen a little bit earlier. But even then, the amount of change and the amount of new products and tools, we're not talking about one product that will do marketing for you. I think that's unlikely. There's going to be a whole swathe of tools. The other thing with this is I think a lot of SaaS companies are going to be in real trouble. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot. I think AI will automate out. Even though a lot of SaaS companies are putting AI into their products, I think yeah. AI will kill a lot of existing SaaS products that marketers and small business owners are using. So there's going to be an entire overhaul there of reimagining your tech stack yeah. and other products and platforms you're already using. That's going to take some time to work through and figure out. Yeah, that, again, that could be another year. So yeah, I would lean towards yeah two and a half, three
0: years, something like that for, for whatever that apex moment looks like. I never thought about the SaaS platforms. It makes a lot of sense. I think the really good ones are going to stick around like HubSpot, Muckrack, yep. things like that. But I think the other ones, I think you're right. I think a lot of mergers and acquisitions are going to happen. Yeah, I think there'll of... be a lot of m and I think a lot
1: of the middle will get squeezed out. Yep. So if you're in the middle as a product or company, I think it's going to be tough. It goes back to what we've been talking about with the small team. Mm-hmm. I think bigger companies will probably sustain. I think mid, some mid-sized businesses, if they don't, adopt fairly adapt rather <laughs> fairly quickly i think they could get squeezed same with products so like mid-size not essential for business saas platforms right. for marketers i think they could be in real trouble maybe not this year but probably the one after
0: people will be able to make their own what is it make.com where you can just build your own software basically or build your own websites text to software development it's insane it's only going to get better so yeah.
1: and, it, lo- and it, it looks like pretty rudimentary right now but again right. we've spun this out to what the,
0: the pace of change is really mind-boggling if you look at the first gen of mid journey which i think came out about a year and a half ago it was That's, really bizarre looking and then it just got a little more the picture came into place but it was like nightmare fuel the faces were all weird and then like seemingly over a course of six months it got stunning to the point where it's more real than real i think for i always think of that when i think about how fast the tech is moving and how fast they platforms are going to move and to look at mid journey v1 versus now and that was not that long ago it was less and than I th- two years I, th-
1: I think that's a really good point it's worth and i will probably do this when i get home today is even look back at okay what date was that because we can play tricks on ourselves of time right you can think oh yeah mid journey has been around for ages and it's actually the no the v1 was only like four 16 months ago or whatever the yep. pace of changing just over a year going from v1 to what we're on v6 now it's extraordinary mm-hmm. so again with a lot of these tools It's easy to trick ourselves into thinking, oh, it's been like that for ages and it's been around for a long time. These products have not been around that long and are changing incredibly quickly. So if you start, again, going back to that law of accelerating returns, I do think this stuff is going to get phenomenally better across a number of factors really rapidly. But it's whether we can adapt and keep up. And I think that might be the thing that actually slows it off a little bit, which is why Mm -hmm. I see that as a two, three-year thing is where the, the big moment Happens, I whatever agree. whatever it looks like.
0: Now you got me curious. When MidJourney V one came out, hang on, on. you uh, gonna check on brand? I'm gonna ask uh, Chat GPT to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> have you used the 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 voice Chat GPT? I have. I was playing around with it last night. It's it's very sociable. We got to be careful. We don't become. Joaquin Phoenix and her. It
1: did. It did. <laughs> it did throw me the um the sociability of the. And I think it's
0: like if there's anything else about. I'm here. I'm like, oh, that's really lonely. People are going to really which double go, down which on go, that. And I don't.
1: Nick, I don't think we can go into like the AI girlfriends and boyfriends thing. That's Hey, too, go that's for too, it. Oh, I don't know if I can go there. It's too much. It's too bit dystopian. <laughs> but going back to for marketers, and I really lightly touched on like customer support, customer yeah. service engagement stuff. I think that side of things like the or particularly audio yeah oh yeah like the visual things going to that is tougher like the hologram stuff is a little we can, there's not enough like body language and mm-hmm. pheromones and things like that right. but the audio side like that already is
0: very good for like text tech, tech for, technical for, service and yeah, stuff technical like like that, that. Tech but support. it might even but
1: it might even be like engaging with the brand in some way or engaging with a ai influencer mm-hmm. or whatever it might be and it probably will be through more rudimentary things like customer support i think yeah. that stuff's going to get really good and really compelling really yeah. quickly. I think audio, particularly the visual stuff is more difficult because it will throw us a bit because of body language, mm-hmm. uh, unconscious signals, pheromones. You know, yeah. More there's that stuff uncanny
0: stuff. valley elements Exactly. Still.
1: Whereas I think audio, as you said, is it's surprisingly engaging already. So yeah. I think that's going to keep getting better and better.
0: Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, let me did you, are you gonna ask. Did you get a mask? Let's see. I... When did Midjourney version one come out? It might take her a second to figure this out. Look at the clicks. Mid version one was released in February
1: 2022. This initial version marked the beginning of Mid journey in the AI art generation field. It, wow. Less than two years at the time of recording. Woo! Yeah, it's crazy. I gotta say, that's a very well-articulated answer as well by our assistant. She so was I-
0: going to go further, but I was like, all right, thank you. So I, th-
1: I think actually going back to Gary V. I think Gary was, bet- he betted on a few years ago. I remember he was betting on voice heavily. And I think he got that one a bit wrong. It's like with predictions, they, they often are always correct. Yeah. But I actually think, thinking about it now for marketers mm-hmm. with AI, I think AI voice could be a really interesting...
0: Area. i'm using it already and i made a linkedin video about this over the holidays i have a little bit of a type a mind it's hard to turn off I also have a little touch of add so i have a lot swirling around <laughs> you just put your hand yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> this is radio but i've oh sorry i didn't, oh, sorry. didn't mean yeah. to out you if you wanted me to do that I'm, so we're all friends here <laughs> But yeah, so I was running around, I had to do some Christmas food shopping and I'm like, goddamn food shopping. Like, what we, we, there's no Amazon fresh out here. I can't like deliver it. So I'm like, man, you just these manual tasks. Not that I'm like, so fucking important that I can't go do it myself, but it's just, like, this is an hour and a half of just not being productive. But then I put on, I opened up ChatGPT and did the voice and was walking around as I was doing my food shopping saying, Hey. I'm having all of these thoughts, all of these to-dos. I need you to listen to what I say and then just keep organized lists of all of these thoughts and then segment them according to these different projects and these different areas of my life. Use H1, H2 headings and then separate notes from to-dos. And she goes, okay, great. And I would just talk and then she would ask me questions to clarify things. And then when I got home, I had a very well-organized articulated list of to-dos and notes and You can dictate a whole business plan. You had a long drive, just get her on the phone and just talk through your thoughts and she'll help you structure it, organize it, keep track of it. I think to that degree, voice is going to continue to be really effective.
1: Yeah. And it won't mean needing to walk around the streets wearing goggles. Yeah,
0: I think that will change. No glass Um, holes.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing glasses and like I'm sure we will get to the point where there's some really nice tech that does that. But I'd say for the for the moment, like mm-hmm. audio is still fairly unintrusive and like walking around with airpods or headphones on is like yeah. not a it's socially acceptable, let's say. Yeah. So I, I think that yeah, use cases like that, they're gonna become more and more prominent, both B2C, but I think there's loads of B2B stuff there yeah. as well, for sure. So yeah, I'm quite bullish on on that sort of things. And yeah, the new for anyone who's not tried it yet, it's worth trying out the audio based chat GPT. It's great. It's pretty interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just don't, don't get too sociable. No, (laughs) I think that's a great place to end. Howard, thank you for being here. This was awesome. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you as always for listening to Brandbots. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button today so you never miss an episode. Want to learn more about AI and share actionable strategies with other AI marketers? Join the Brandbots LinkedIn group a dedicated space for marketers to collaborate, learn, and trade strategies in the field of AI. Dive into vibrant discussions, get inspired by innovative approaches, and be part of a network that's shaping the future of AI in marketing. Don't miss out. Visit brandbotspodcast.com slash LinkedIn today and join. That's brandbotspodcast.com slash LinkedIn. I'll see you there.